Good morning. Good morning. Taylor, is it your birthday this week? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. We sang to you earlier, just so you know. We sang to you. And it's nice to have little Reagan with us here this morning. She's not very talkative this morning. Last night, though, huh? Yeah. Get used to that. <laughs> All right. Good morning, everyone. It's, I, I just love I love the Lord's Day. I love coming to, to here with everyone here. Um, always encourages me. Turn to First Samuel, please. First Samuel, chapter twenty-six. First Samuel twenty-six. We are going to read the entire chapter today. It's a little lengthy, so. Please read along with me um, as we read it out loud here. All right, if we were going to title this message today, I'm going to title it based on James chapter 1. The title of our message this morning is Let Patience Have Its Perfect Work. Let Patience Have Its Perfect Work. Chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Achillah, uh, opposite Jeshimon? Um, you'll recall that the last time Saul was aware of David's hiding, guess who gave him up? The Ziphites. They've got quite the reputation here. Okay. And uh, it's interesting, too, this place that he's hiding, this hill, um, actually means dark. It means dark. In the Hebrew, uh, opposite of this place, Jeshman, which means waste or desolation. So then Saul, in verse 2, arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him. That is five times as many as David has. Remember, David's got about 600. Saul's going to send 3,000. Right? Chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hekilah, which is opposite Jeshman by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai uh, said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth. And I will not even have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives... The Lord will strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. 
The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill far off and a great distance between being between them. And David called out to the people and, and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? I kind of like this portion here. It's almost like David's talking a little trash here. Those that uh, you know, know what I'm talking about here. Okay? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. And Saul knew David's voice. He said, is that your voice, my son David? David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be accursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of my tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things. And also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. The Lord will bless the reading of his word again this morning. Let's just pray. Our Father, we do ask now that you would give us understanding. Um, we pray that your Son would be glorified this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Me being the teacher, I'm sorry. I think it's so important. I, I have had uh, several conversations with some of you. Uh, over the last several weeks, and it's good. I've gotten positive feedback over this series that we're doing in the life of David, the successes and the failures of David. And so it's important for us, right, to remember what we've already learned. Okay, I've heard some of you say, oh man, that was so great, but are you practicing it? Are you doing what you heard over the last several weeks? For example, one of the things that stood out to me about the story of David and Goliath that Greg brought out so beautifully is, are you slaying the sins in your life? Are you? David, uh, Greg gave us a great picture of, you know, when it comes to those sins that each and every one of us are struggling right now in our lives, we need to treat them just like Goliath's head. 
cut it off. Hold it up in the air and say, no more. No more. Are you doing that? Are you slaying the giants, the sins in your life? Don't just forget about that message several weeks ago and say, you know what, that sin, it's, it's okay now again. Because I know that day you were convicted of that sin. But not only that, right? Have you gauged the purpose of your relationships? We learn with Jonathan and David that your relationships, whatever it is, your friendships, your marriage, any kind of relationship you have, the purpose of it, and the only purpose of it, is to glorify God. If you are in a relationship right now that does not glorify God, get rid of it. Get rid of it. And if you're in a relationship like a marriage or something like that, that is not glorifying God, fix it. Fix it. Our relationships be such that we have relationships where people are encouraging us, building us up, and we likewise. We've already learned a couple of different accounts where Jonathan went and strengthened David in a difficult time. Those are the kinds of friends you need. Those are the kind of spouses we need. We learn from Brian Sorrell Jr. that are you committing, are you committed to making everything a matter of prayer? You know, I think uh, that portion that he had there is actually David's first recorded prayer ever. And I was, uh, I was encouraged by James this past summer. James actually spoke on that portion. You know, there's so many times where guys are afraid to pray, right? Um, out loud, I'm saying. And, and even men and women, they, they, they fail to pray a lot of times because they're, they don't know how to do it. You know, they're afraid that they're not elaborate enough or they don't know enough verses in their head or whatever it may be. I always love this, that David's first prayer is very simply this. Should I go fight the Philistine? That's his prayer. He didn't say, oh, Lord, thou God, righteous faith, you know, you know, please give me counsel. No, he just says, uh, should I go fight the Philistines? Guys, prayer is just communication with God. That's all it is. He just wants us to talk with him, okay? to make everything a matter of prayer. Are we doing that? Because one of the things we also learn there is that fear, right? Fear is faith in the enemy. Fear is faith in the enemy. What are those things right now that you're putting your faith in? Right? Are you still putting your faith in these fears? Maybe there's an illness you're going through. There's a surgery that's coming up. Uh, there's the unknown, things that you're not sure about, right? Do we put our faith in the enemy, so to speak, do we fear those things or do we bring it before the Lord in prayer and then there's no worry. There's no anxiousness. There's no fear. Not only that, but we learned from that lesson too that God has called us to serve those who are ungrateful. Right? Remember the, uh, the people there that, that David had to go rescue. I'm forgetting their names. Sorry, with a K. Keilah, right? The, the men of Keilah. Right after David saves him from the Philistines, he asks God, listen, are they going to turn me over to Saul? Yep, they are. Man, what a great lesson that was for me is that man, we've been called to serve the body here. We're called to serve other people. And guess what? Many times you're not going to be thanked for it. Many times people are not going to be grateful. And that's all right. You know why? Because what we learned is that as you serve people who are ungrateful and unthankful, it teaches you more about God's love for you. Doesn't it? That's a great challenge. We looked at last week, right? If you are wronged by someone, right, humble yourself. Right? Don't take matters into your own hands. Right? Let God take care of it. 
Give it to him. Are we doing that? Listen, guys, these are some great lessons that we're learning, but who cares if we just listen to it and we leave out there and we don't practice these things, if we don't apply them to our lives? Do you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart like David? Yes, I think you do. I do. Right? These are lessons in the life of David that we can apply to our own lives. So let's be doing that. Okay, now let's get to the story we have today, chapter 26. Uh, we skipped chapter 24. And um, one of the things you'll, uh, if you haven't noticed already, is that chapter 24 and 26 are very similar. They both have to do with David on the run uh, and an opportunity for David to take Saul's life. And both times David spares uh, Saul's life. There are actually some people, some critics, who believe that they're both the exact same story, the same account, just um, told from two different perspectives. But I think it's important for us to know that I really believe that these are two different accounts. These are two different experiences that David went through. So let's just quickly set the scene here, all right? And let's observe the two differences here because this will kind of help us too with understanding what's going on here, all right? First of all, in chapter 24 and here in 26, the scene is different. Okay, in one case, they're near En Gedi, and in the other here, the one we just read, they're in the wilderness, near the hill of Hakala, which is before Jeshman. All right, the place where Saul was asleep is different. Right, in chapter 24, he's in a what? Anybody know? A cave. He's in a cave. That's right. In this case, right, he, um, he's in a camp, right, that the, the people have encamped around him. He's actually in a trench, some of your translations will say. He's encamped in a trench with all the people encamped around him. The trophy that David carries off is different. Right? In the first account, David cuts off a piece of his fabric right, or what he was wearing. In this case, he's got the spear and the jug of water. The position of David when he makes himself known is different. As soon as Saul exits the cave, David follows him, falls to the ground, and confronts Saul there. Very close to him. In this case here, we learn that he crosses to the other side, stands on top of a hill afar off at a great distance between them. And then lastly, his way of attracting attention was different. In the one case in chapter 24, he spoke directly to Saul. And as we just read in this one, he speaks to Abner, the captain of the host, for failing to protect the person of the king. So We have two different stories here, but they're very similar in the sense that um, as we all know, again, this, the context here is David has already been anointed. Samuel has anointed David as the new king of Israel, right? We've learned that God has rejected Saul, right? That he actually has given, uh, put an evil spirit uh, in him. Um, and David here now um, is on the run. Saul is looking to kill him, and he's been in the wilderness. He's been traveling around with these 600 men. And here is another opportunity um, where Saul is in pursuit of David, and David has an opportunity to kill uh, the Lord's anointed, to kill uh, Saul, and he does not do that. So, what we're going to talk about quickly this morning, the little time that we have left, is this. Um, David's decision, and our decision as well, I think we can apply this, is based on a concept, not circumstances. Okay? Our decisions, as in David's case, to his decisions, should be based on a concept, not our circumstances. Now, it would have been easy, right, for David to argue that he had been wrong in chapter 24, right? 
I'm sure all of us have experienced this before. Chapter 24, there's Saul. David says, no, I don't feel I should put a hand on the Lord's anointed. Right? God will take care of it. And then here it is, two chapters later, he has the same opportunity again. And you might think to yourself, well, maybe I was wrong before. And maybe God's just showing me again. Hey, listen, David, come on, man. You missed it the first time. Let's go. I mean, this time, can't make it any clearer. And there, there, there. I put a spear right next to him for you. You know, it's right there. I mean, we might be able to argue that David was wrong in the cave and that God was giving him a second chance to kill Saul. Look at uh, his servant there, uh, Abishai, right? Um, Abishai was a brave guy, right? David says, who wants to go with me? <laughs> Down to Saul's 3,000 men. He's like, I'll go with you. Right? I mean, he's a brave guy, right? And so they go down there, and, and there they are, right next to Saul. Everyone's sleeping. God had put a deep sleep on them. And again, you know, I could just hear Abishai saying, listen, David, the Lord has delivered him into your hand. Listen, I'll do it for you, right? And listen, I'll be humane about it. I don't have to stick him once. Don't even have to stick him again. He won't feel a thing. Put it right through his head, right to the ground, and good, it'll be done. Right? Thinking, man, that sounds pretty good. Right? Listen, one of the things I learned from this is that uh, brave men are not always wise. We need to remember that. Brave men are not always wise. But see, David's decision was based on a concept. Right? A principle, if you will not his circumstances. And this, this principle, this concept, emerged from what we learned last week. Look back at chapter 25. You remember in chapter 25, we have Nabal, Abigail's husband, foolish one, right? Um, David was uh, on his way to kill him, and Abigail intercedes. And then uh, David um, does not harm Nabal or his family, and then we hear about what happens in verse 39 of 1 Samuel 25. It says, when David heard that Nabal was dead, remember God had struck him dead. He said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And then David, of course, sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. There's a concept here. There's a principle uh, that is emerging here. And, and what David is saying is, you know what? He realizes that this is the Lord's work, right? That this is the Lord's job. This is his doing, right? Even in this chapter, notice now what he's saying. He doesn't say this in chapter 24, but in chapter 26, he says in verse 10, right? When Abishai says, hey, listen, man, the Lord has delivered him to you. Let's, let me just strike him right now. Look what he says in verse 10 of chapter 26. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. David's saying, listen, I understand something now. Yeah, I learned this with Nabal. All right? The Lord will take care of it. <laughs> Listen what he says. Either the Lord will strike him, right? He said, or he'll come to die. Or he'll go out to war and he'll perish there. But I know that Saul's dying somewhere along the way here. Okay? The Lord's going to take care of this. Even he makes this statement, a beautiful statement, in verse 23. David says, may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. You see, David has developed a concept here, right? That everything in our lives here, it is the Lord's doing, right? It is the Lord's work that is happening here, right? It is his job, right? God will repay the wicked for what they've done. And God will repay those uh, who are faithful as well. 
But it's God's doing. It's not ours. And so it's very important that the decisions that we make need to be founded on this concept, right? This principle that it is God's doing, not man's, right? And it cannot be based on circumstances. The circumstances of David's life would have led me to think, you know what? Maybe God wants me to kill him. I would have been easily swayed that way if we look at the circumstances of David's life. And too often we too look at the circumstances of our lives and think, you know what, maybe I am supposed to take this into my own hands. Maybe God has given this to me. And so there's certainly a lot of discernment that's required there. But in Psalm 37, um, it says this. It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. But those who wait on the Lord... They shall inherit the earth. And this is important for us. This is the concept that David is learning. It's emerged right back from Nabal, and now it's taking place even here in his opportunity to take Saul's life. He's learned that he needs to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Because those who rest in the Lord and wait for the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And so, our decisions... Uh, need to be based on this concept, right? Not our circumstances. But listen also, our character, right? Our character is built on waiting, not worrying. Right? A Christian's character, a Christian's life is built on waiting, not worrying. You see, patience is an important element in the Christian's life and character. And there's no better place for cultivating patience, right? There's no better place for displaying it than waiting on God. That's the best place to cultivate patience in your own life. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Um, The best way is waiting on God. You see, there we discover how impatient we are, right? But not only that, as you wait on God, you also learn what impatience is. Right? And yes, the times that we've had to wait on God, right? We find ourselves impatient with other people. Right? We, have you ever been impatient with anyone? Okay? So we find ourselves that we're impatient with others. Sometimes we're impatient with circumstances in our lives, right? Okay? We've seen that too. And you know what? I've found in my own life, many times as I'm waiting on God, you know what? I'm impatient with myself too sometimes. Right? So we've all, we've all certainly experienced that as we wait on God, but One of the things that we find as we are waiting on God is that it is with Him that we are impatient. That's what the bottom line is. We find, you know what? With God, I am impatient. That's my problem. And that is our fallen um, nature, is that we cannot wait for God. We are impatient with God. Satan's message to the world is wait. Satan's message to the church is now. God's message is opposite. God's message to the world is now. And to us who are saved, it is wait. Wait. Wait on me. This uh, verse here, rest in the Lord. Some of your Bibles in Psalm 37 may say, be silent. To the Lord. Or some years may translate, be still before the Lord. It, it is this resting in the Lord, right? 
resting in His will, resting in His promises, resting in His faithfulness, resting in His love that makes patience so easy. And the resting in Him is nothing but being silent unto Him. It's nothing but being still before Him. You remember the prophet uh, Habakkuk, um, the, no matter how many times he tells the nation to repent, they won't listen. And God then tells him that he's going to send the Babylonians to punish them. And Habakkuk doesn't think that's right. He thinks that the Babylonians are worse than God's people right now. Why would you send someone who's more evil than God's own people? And really, and the reality is that God's people were actually more evil because they had more light. Right? But the bottom line is that Habakkuk, you know, he questions, he questions, you know, God's decision. And upon God's answer, Habakkuk comes with a great conclusion. He says, you know what? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent before him. Waiting on God means that we are silent before God. We are still before him. Even Job, um, Job, when he has his interaction with God, um, after everything that's happened to Job, right? And after many have come to him and given him unwise counsel, just like Abishai gave David, right? Job is a little bold with the Lord as well. And the Lord answers him, right? And uh, answers him pretty frankly. And when he gets to the end of that, Job comes to the conclusion. I love it. He says, you know, God, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I'm going to shut up now. (laughs) This idea of resting in the Lord, it has the idea of um, being silent unto God. right? Being still before Him. And as we consider this idea of of patience, right? um, I could not help but think in this account, and even so far as we've been looking at this, um, the patience and the long-suffering of God. Do you see how patient he's been with Saul? Yeah, we're going to get to a point where, where Saul does perish. But it's not after the Lord's patience and long-suffering with him. Over and over again. Here again, second time, David spares Saul's life, tells him of the sin in his life. And yeah, Saul here, he'll say um, you know, that he has sinned, Right? He's not sincere. Saul's going to get to a point where he's going to go visit a medium. I mean, Saul has just completely turned away from the Lord, and yet the Lord is patient with him. Long-suffering. You know, I was looking at First Peter, and uh, I love that portion that First Peter talks about in First Peter 3.20 where it says, um, the divine long-suffering of God who waited patiently for the ark to be built. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that? Right? I mean, the Bible describes the, 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 the condition of man at that time. They were wicked. So much so that God was going to destroy the earth with a flood. But remember that long time where he waited. <laughs> he waited to do that while Noah built the ark. Tremendous patience of God. Right? We read in Second uh, Peter, right, that there are going to be those that come in the last days and they're going to say, where is the promise of His coming? Come on, look, it's been thousands of years since Jesus said He was going to come again. Right? 
It goes on to say, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He just wishes that no one perish. See, I love that verse here. It says, rest in him, right? Wait patiently for him. We are waiting for him. We're being still unto him. uh, Being silent before him. It's having our thoughts, our wishes, our fears, our hopes hushed into a calm and quiet. Into that great peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And so our decisions need to be um, be made based on this concept, right? This principle, not our circumstances. And we need to know that our character, our very lives are built on waiting, not worrying. Waiting. And the reason is because many, many problems in our own personal lives, but in this world in which we live in today, have come about through restlessness, not relying. We, we are living in a world where we're so restless, right? We're so anxious, right? Instead of just relying on the Lord and waiting on Him. How many sins, right? Even crimes, have men committed through unwillingness to wait for God's time. Remember Abraham and Sarah. God promised them a child. And they waited and they waited and both of them couldn't have children. So they said, you know what? God must, must want to give it to us through Hagar. Right? Is that a mistake? <laughs> you better believe it. Okay? What a problem that caused that the descendants of Ishmael are still here today. Because someone couldn't wait. They were restless. They didn't rely on the promise of God. They took matters into their own hands. And look at the problems that have uh, risen from that one decision. One decision. How does that apply to us today? A young man embarks in the pursuits of commerce. But the gains to be derived from ordinary business come in far too slowly for him. He makes haste to be rich, engages in gigantic speculation, plunges into frightful debt, and in a few years brings ruin on himself and all that's connected with him. Do we see that today? How many sharp and unkind words are said just because people are impatient? They wish to hurry on to something which their hearts are set on. Have not murders taken place just to quickly remove someone who occupied a place that they were eager to fill? This is a big one, I think. How often are evil things done by those who will not wait for the approval of an honorable marriage? Lord, I know know who I'm supposed to marry. You're 20 years old. It's going to be a godly man, a godly woman. Here's what I want to see in that, that, that husband or that wife. 25 comes around. Well, all right, we'll take that part off. Now scratch out that requirement. All right. 30 comes around. Lord, I'm 30 years old. Come on. You know what? And you just marry someone that 10 years ago would not be honorable in your eyes. Because you couldn't wait. There, there's this, this need to have things now, now. And God says, no, I want you to wait on me. Wait. How many, even if it's not a crime or these things that we share, how many even 
evil feelings or thoughts have occurred from those who were impatient with God's timing. I've experienced that. The things that you think, the, th- the way you feel, just because it didn't happen when you wanted it to happen. That somehow God forgot, or God's not aware of your situation. There is absolutely no good that can come out of impatiently forcing things to happen before God allows. Nothing. In fact, it may in the beginning seem like it worked out at first. But most likely it will be followed by even greater problems later. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, For you have need of patience, (laughs) that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, and if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And James chapter 1, verse 4 says this, Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be mature and complete, and lacking nothing. Don't you want to be mature? I do. I, I, want, I want to be complete. I don't want to lack anything. And this is something that I certainly lack, is waiting on God. Waiting on Him. Oh, as James says, let patience have its perfect work in each and every one of us. Oh, how we need patience like David. Right? He didn't allow a decision to be made based on circumstances in his life. It was based on a principle that this is the Lord's work. It's His job. It's His doing. Right? Our lives, our character is built on waiting, not worrying. Too many problems, too many sins have occurred because we went ahead of God's plan. We were restless instead of just relying on Him. This morning, if you are waiting for God to answer a special request, wait patiently. If you are seeking to know God more, wait patiently. If you are suffering and you're waiting for the glory to follow, wait patiently. If your waiting is in the shorter specific period of waiting, wait patiently. If your waiting is in the soul's continuous habit of waiting, and some of you have been, there are things that you've waited for a long, long time. The Bible says, wait patiently. Wait. Rest in the Lord. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently. Why? Because Isaiah chapter 60 verse 22 tells us this. That the Lord will do it in His time. He will do it in His time. In this portion here in 1 Samuel uh, 26. Right? Why, why can I... Rest in the Lord. Why can I be still before Him? God, all these things are going on in my life. You have no idea how, how difficult my marriage is right now. You have no idea how hard it is to see my children doing what they're doing. You have no idea you know, um, the circumstances in my life right now. How can I wait on You? How can You tell me to be still and be quiet? Well, David tells us why. In verse 24, 1 Samuel 26. 
Because your life is valued much in the eyes of the Lord. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you can wait patiently on Him. Your life is valued much in the eyes of the Lord. He loves you. He loves you. That's why we need to wait on Him. Wait on the Lord. I'll just close with this. This is the psalm that David wrote. Psalm 54, please. David wrote this psalm during this experience right here that we just read about in 1 Samuel 26. And I think it's certainly applicable. Here is a man who is waiting on the Lord. And for those of us who are having a hard time, right? We're restless, right? We're, we're worrying, right? We allow circumstances in our lives to make our decisions. Here is a psalm that we can go to. You'll even see there in Psalm 54, it says, This is to the chief musician with stringed instruments. It's a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, Is David not hiding with us? And so David had already gotten word that these Ziphites had sold him out. Right? That they had told Saul where he was. And here's what he writes. Save me, O God, by your name. And vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. Let's pray, and then as soon as I finish praying, we're going to go into corporate prayer. Our Father, I thank you that my life um, values much in your eyes. I thank you that you love me. Help me to wait on you. Help each and every one of us to wait on you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.